Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I am your host, the Dynasty Zoltan, and I am joined once again by FF Snoop. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Zoltan. It's nice to get on again. We haven't recorded together since, I think, the JSN pre-draft days. Yeah. Feels good to be back on and talk some ball with you. Yeah, man, it's been a minute, and I'm excited because we're getting to the actual point of the offseason where things are happening that are actually important. So typically, I'm not going to be talking about a lot of news in the offseason, but this has been a really important week in terms of the news that's going on. Um, I haven't recorded since the DeAndre Hopkins signing. We obviously have all this running back situation going on. And then training camp started this week, which means that we find out whether the players that got injured last season are going to start on the pup. Um, there's a lot of implications going out from there. So we're going to touch on all that throughout this episode and then finish up with some questions from my, uh, from my patrons. So l- let's start off with the DeAndre Hopkins news. Um, obviously, he signed in Tennessee looking like a basically two-year, $26 million deal. I think it's insane. Like, that's an amazing value. I don't know why the Patriots didn't match it. I don't know why he's making more money. I mean, less money than Odell Beckham Jr., uh, what's your take, I guess, from the NFL perspective to start on the Hopkins signing? As a Patriots fan, it makes me real mad because I think so we're a much better roster than the Titans. They lost so many veterans. They're literally one of those teams that's just hanging on by the thread. But I think he'll be he'll be the same DeAndre Hopkins he's been in the past few years on the Titans. I mean, Tannehill is a good veteran. He's not bad. He can target that guy and just feed Hopkins and Hopkins is still looking amazing last year. He was great. It's just, if he can stay healthy, that knee issue, I know the steroid issue he had too. So from a perspective like that, he's kind of been falling downhill, but he's still getting targeted like an elite wide receiver. And he's always been one of those guys that doesn't need insane athleticism or crazy separation to make plays. Like he's what people want George Pickens to be. He's that guy that can just catch every single ball that's thrown to him, even if he has an inch of separation on his corner. So I think the Titans got a bargain, like you said, and I really wish he was a Patriot so I could buy his Jersey and hang it up behind me. Like my Camaro one, but yeah, hop hop is still going to be that dude. I think people forget how talented he is. Maybe not from a fantasy perspective, he'll be as good, but he's just an NFL stud, and like that's a great ad for the Titans to maybe be a nine and eight team for God. Yeah, knows yeah it's, it's so disappointing for the Patriots who have somehow spent seventy million dollars since Tom Brady retired on tight ends and wide receivers, and the most talented guy they got is Hunter Henry. I, I don't even know. It's been an absolute mess in New England. That's seventeen million dollars more than the next highest position, and yet. We have no room for DeAndre Hopkins because we're giving Devontae Parker an $11 million a year contract. So I I don't understand what New England's doing. He would have been a perfect fit, really helped Mac Jones. But you're right. I mean, the last time we saw DeAndre Hopkins, he only played nine games last season, but he was fourth in the league in target share. He was second in the league in air yard share at 43.5%, which is an insane number. And then he was ninth in the league in fantasy points per game with 17 points a game. Um, the fit in Tennessee is interesting. Uh, Tannehill's never really had a wide receiver like this. And typically the Tennessee offense is a little bit more based obviously on the play action game with Derrick Henry there. Um, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of deep routes, um, a lot less of kind of the, the pure route running technician physicality routes that DeAndre Hopkins is so good at. 
So how do you think he's going to be as a fit there? And then we can transition to talking about Traylon Burks. Do you think it limits his upside as well? Yeah, so I think DeAndre Hopkins is one of those situation-proof wide receivers where it just doesn't matter where he is. He's going to go out there, he's going to make plays, and he's going to make things easier for Ryan Tannehill. Um, from a Burks perspective, I actually think Traylon Burks is a buy because now he gets that alpha guy that's going to come in, take a lot of the pressure off him, help him develop, and he's just going to be that guy, like you said, that yak guy on crossers and stuff like that, killing the play action. They're going to feed Henry probably 25, 30 times a game and get Burks involved in that yak area. So I think they're both a buy low. And Tannehill is still a pretty good quarterback. Like Just two years ago, he was the QB8 overall, I believe. So I'm I'm all in on Ryan Tannehill. It's like a cheapy little QB3 going around, stashing him for like seconds. And DeAndre Hopkins as well. And I've seen Burks flying around in so many different leagues for like a bargain like i saw someone get him for like a 24 and a 25 second i was like might as well start going buying Traylon burks if that's the price so yeah no i completely agree um so i i guess i'll touch on Tannehill quickly i actually just took him in a startup where i'm punting um so he's not like the best fit but i got him in the 12th round of a startup same range as guys like rashi rice and brandon cooks the value upside there is just massive for me. I, I think Tannehill, like I don't see that big of a separation between him and the guys who are going in the seventh, eighth round, like Derek Carr, uh, Jared Goff. I, I do prefer those guys, but I don't think Tannehill's that far off. And he's certainly better than like Jimmy Garoppolo in the 11th round. I like him more than Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter in the 10th round. I get these guys have some upside, but the odds are that they're not going to be starting next season and they won't be good enough to play for your fantasy team this year. So I do like that value on Tannehill. Um, let's do some would you rathers on Deshaun Hop uh, on uh, DeAndre Hopkins real quick. So he's kind of in a range with some of the other veterans, 29 and up. Do you have him above or below Amari Cooper? I have him below Amari. I'm super, super high on Amari Cooper this year. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, below I, Amari. I think that one's really tough for me because uh, Amari Cooper does have about a year and a half on Hopkins, but I think Hopkins uh, real upside for a given year is significantly higher, but I, I like Amari's situation too. So I think I agree with you there. Uh, what about Mike Evans and uh, with, with Baker Mayfield, the quarterback? Is For redraft or dynasty? Dynasty. I think I'm going to go with, DeAndre Hopkins. I I literally think Baker Mayfield's the worst quarterback in the NFL, and it's like he is so bad. Like he ruined Odell. He's ruined so many good wide receivers. So I literally am not drafting him or Godwin this year at all in any league. Yeah, I don't blame you as well. I I think Mike Evans a a pretty solid sale as well. Although it's possible the Bucks are terrible and Baker kind of just falls ass backwards into 45 passes a game and gets 4,000 yards somehow. But yeah, I'm pretty out on that as well. Um, and Mike Evans is uh, a sell as well for me. Um, next one is going to be Calvin Ridley, who I know a lot of people are really high on. Is is that one step too far for you? I, I think I'd take Ridley. Definitely yeah. Ridley. Uh, I'm I'm one of those guys that's really high on Ridley, just as a talent perspective. I know there's some risk baked in with him missing football for a while, but at least it wasn't injury-related. It was because he was gambling on games and decided to take a step away. So he seems like he's got his head back in the game. He's in a good fit now, and the Jags led, Jaguars, Jaguars offense led by Trevor Lawrence, and 
We saw what Christian Kirk and Zay Jones did in that offense last year. Ridley's going to come in as the bonafide number one option in the passing game, and Christian Kirk's going to be a great number two alongside him. So I think Calvin Ridley, we saw his wide receiver five overall upside back in 2020, I believe. So yeah, that was just two years ago, and he's 28 years old now, entering his prime years when wide receivers tend to finish like top 12, top 10. So I think Ridley's going to be really, really good this year. Yeah, and Ridley is going above Hopkins right now in startups. Um, Ridley has risen all the way to the sixth round while DeAndre Hopkins is in the ninth round. Um, and I'm finding that he's Hopkins is now one of the better players as like a veteran buy, give up a second maybe in a young player, like a guy like, I don't know, Tank Bigsby, uh, even Josh Downs. Try to get that upgrade for the last piece on a contending roster. Um, I think he's one of the best win-now assets out there because I – well, he's just as talented as Devontae Adams. He's been just as good as Devontae Adams when he's healthy. He's the same age as Devontae Adams, yet Devontae Adams is going in the fourth round of startups and Hopkins is in the ninth. So I do see the reasons for that difference, but I don't think it should be as big as it is. Um, let's hit on Traylon Burks for a minute here, who I was high on coming out of college just because of the athleticism, because of the talent, but he was obviously a very raw player. And last year, he basically showed the same thing, in my opinion, where he made a couple insane plays. Uh, the catch against the Eagles stands out where he got his head taken off and hung onto the ball. But from a route running perspective, he was really poor. Um, I don't think that he improved a whole lot. I think some of that had to do um, with the fact that he was injured for part of the season. But I personally love the transition for him to playing more of the Z. I think he's not going to face as much press coverage. Uh, he faced press last season on 22% of his routes. I think he's just going to be better as more of a movement guy where he can use his physicality and hopefully he can learn from Hopkins. So I'm seeing Burks fall to the seventh round of startup drafts now, late sixth, early seventh. That puts him around guys like George Pickens, Brandon Ayuk, puts him well behind guys like Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnston and Jerry Judy. Where do you have Burks shaking out there? Yeah, so his his dynasty value is kind of tough for me right now because there's those guys like you mentioned above, like Quentin Johnson, who's playing with Justin Herbert and Jerry yeah, Judy, yeah. who's had a great end of last year on pace for crushing over a thousand yards in just like thirteen games, and then Jordan Addison's great number two option and a phenomenal passing offense. So it's tough valuing him with those type of guys because you just know there's a lot more upside in, in that in those offenses because yeah especially because jordan five. addison we no longer have to be concerned about his speed score so yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but it's it's tough because the titans are really run heavy and it, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out with hopkins being there dominating the targets on a uh per snap basis but burks is great and if i can get I, i'll take him over guys like Jahan Dotson and all those guys that I've been seeing people blowing up over on Twitter saying they'd rather him than Traylon Burks and stuff like that. I'm taking over Deontay, all those guys. So what I would be trying to do in Dynasty is taking guys like Deontay, John Dotson, all those type of wide receivers in that range, adding on to them to get Traylon Burks if I can't get like a Jerry Judy or Quentin Johnson. So that'd be yeah. my take on him in Dynasty. And I think yeah, he that's. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I actually just moved Traylon Burks uh, straight up for a future first. Um, I think, and, and I, to me, I have that yeah, first yeah. projected for seventh or eighth, but I think it does have some upside. To me, I'm okay 
um, moving off of him for that price. Uh, and I would take guys like Quentin Johnson, Jerry Judy over him for the simple fact that, listen, the Chargers threw the ball 42 times a game last season. The Vikings threw the ball 40 times a game last season. The Titans threw the ball 27 times a game last season. That is 50% more potential targets that guys like Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison can get. And that's a big hill for Burks to make up. But what I think we might see is that Burks might thrive as a secondary weapon in some of the efficiency stats that we love. And I can see him being a riser in the off season next year, even though he might only put up 750, 800 yards, just because a lot of his efficiency stats will look good. Hopkins obviously might like, I, I think this might be Hopkins only year there. Derek Henry seems like they could move on from him next year as well. So I am still in on Burks and I have him higher than, uh, you know, consensus would have him. Um, I just updated my rankings today and I got Traylon Burks at the wide receiver 23 um, ahead of guys like Ayuk, DJ Moore, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens. So I think we're, we're on the similar page there. Yeah. Um, last guy I want to touch on briefly is Chig Conquo. Um he was one of those guys that had incredible efficiency metrics last year, you know, first among tight ends and yards per route run, um, yards per catch, everything like that. Do you think this impacts him at all? Or are you in general a fan of him? I think he's a pretty talented tight end from a, if it impacts him perspective, I don't think it really does because it, it's not like he was going to command like a 25% target share. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a young tight end. So if anything, it makes the offense better. I think he'll get more looks as well. Because a lot of people don't realize when a, when an offense is just horrible and can't pass the ball, the quarterback's not on the field for a while. They're not putting together a long drive. So you can look at it both ways. But I think Hopkins additions helps Burks and it helps. I think everybody gets a boost from it. But if anything, I think I'd rather Hopkins have gone somewhere else for himself. Like Patriots with Mac Jones. I think Mac would have fed Hopkins and that would have been his best scenario. But yeah. Playing with Tannehill, Tannehill is going to get a boost. Chig's going to get a boost just being in a better offense. And same with Burks. Derrick Henry gets a boost as well. I think the whole offense just takes a big, big boost of upgrade. Yeah, I'm, I I didn't really move Chig based on this news either. Yeah. I, I think it, it hypothetically caps his upside, but like you, I never thought he was going to get above a 20% target share anyways. So Yeah, exactly. The thing is, when you look at it, if they're only going to throw, even if they go from 27 to 31, which is what I have them projected for, if Chig's going to only get 15% of that, that's only four to five targets a game. So just just limit your expectations on what Chig is going to provide this year. I, I have him as a kind of mid tight end two this year yeah. uh, with, with some room for upside, but maybe not as much with his Hopkins news. Yeah, I think the touchdowns will determine how well he does. If he can get on like a little touchdown streak, like, kind of like what we saw with plenty of tight, like Robert Tanya in that year, he did with really Austin good. Knox, with, yeah, yeah, just scoring touchdowns is what really helps those tight ends. So if Chig can get in the end zone six or seven times, he could finish as like a top fifteen tight end this year. So, yeah, although he's probably the fourth best red zone threat on that offense now. Like, yeah. I mean, with, with Derrick Henry and uh, Hopkins and Burks, it's it, I, I don't know if he's going to get to six or seven, but it's it's possible. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um. So let's move on to talk about what's been going on in the running back market. And there's a lot to say about, you know, whether this is fair, how they could fix this. What, what, what are the running backs? What should they do? What should the teams do? I, I don't really want to get into that right now. I'm more focused on this from a dynasty perspective. I think to be honest, there's people 
closer to the NFL that are better uh, positioned to talk about things like this. But from a dynasty perspective, this stuff really matters. So we have three running backs that, in my opinion, or really four running backs that are being affected by this right now. Tony Pollard got franchise tagged, and he signed it immediately. Saquon Barkley got franchise tagged. He threatened to not report. I think he might have missed a day of training camp then came back and got a million dollars all in all in incentives above the franchise tag. So basically got the tag. And then Josh Jacobs ended up holding out and he apparently left Las Vegas. He has no plans to report and people are freaking out in both the dynasty and the redraft space. If Jacobs doesn't play, his dynasty value is pretty much shot because he's now going to be a 26 year old running back in the Lavian Bell situation without as good of a track record as Lavian Bell. So what are you doing with Saquon and Josh Jacobs right now? I'm buying Saquon everywhere just because I think he has I, – I put out a thread recently that he has RB1 overall upside just because he's a phenomenal talent. And we saw what he did last year. Fresh a year removed from tearing his ACL, he was on fire. He finished the RB5 overall. And I think I think he only caught like 50 passes. I think we could see an upstick in pass catching. I think he's a 70-plus catch guy all day. He did that as a rookie, so that the upside's there. And he's just one of the best running backs I've ever watched with my eyes. So I think Saquon's a phenomenal buy, and I was drafting him everywhere in my redrafts and best balls when he was falling into that late second, early second round range with all the news going on about him. So Saquon, I think, is one of the biggest buys. Jacobs, I think, will play, and I think Jacobs is also a really good running back because we saw what he did last year in that offense. and. Everyone's saying like everyone's talking down on Jimmy G like he's so much of a downgrade from Derek Carr. But if anything, he's a better a quarterback for an offense than Derek Carr because he takes care of the ball better. He's not an idiot. He doesn't just chuck it downfield and throw 18 picks. He's going to take care of that offense and he's also going to check the, the ball down a lot. So if Jacobs is the guy in that backfield, he could see 300 plus touches again out of the backfield and 50 plus receptions all day. So I think. Both of those guys are buys, in my opinion. Yeah, so I'm curious because I agree, Jacobs, he could easily be the RB1 again as long as he plays. But I'm it's all about risk mitigation to me. So if you own Josh Jacobs, hopefully you're a contending team because otherwise there's no no reason to own him. Mm -hmm. What what would you pay on top of Josh Jacobs to acquire, let's say Saquon Barkley or Tony Pollard? Um, just in terms of mitigating the risk that Jacobs could sit out. Yeah, I have. I actually have Saquon RB6 in my dynasty rankings, and I think I have Jacobs and Pollard back-to-back like 9 and 10 or 8 and 9. So if I can get if I can get a plus on top of any of them for the other, I just, I just accept it because I have them all closely ranked. But I would be looking to add on those two for Saquon, if anything. Because I yep. truly believe just the Giants' offense is going to run through them. He, they didn't add any serious threat in the receiving game. Um, they added Hyatt and Waller. That's just going to make the offense better. It's going to make Dimes have more passing opportunities. They're going to be in the red zone more. That's just better for Saquon in general. Hyatt's going to stretch the field, and Waller's going to stretch the field because they're both great vertical threats. So I think Saquon's going to have a massive year. He's going to play now. Everything's good. He's reporting back to training camp. He got money. He's going to prove that he's that guy, and then he's going to try to get that big contract next year. So hopefully it all works out for Saquon. But I, th- I think he's the clear best, most talented out of those three guys. So I'd be, be looking to add on those guys for him. 
Yeah, and, and personally, I don't think that Jacobs actually sits out. I mean, the I whole the whole crux of this issue is that their careers are so short. And yeah. again, we saw what happened with Lev Bell. I understand what he's trying to do to get leverage, but the reality is is that Jacobs only had one, you know, elite season, and they're paying him eleven million dollars this year. So it's not like I don't even think Jacobs is being treated that unfairly if he goes out and proves Definitely it again. Not. He'll either get fourteen million in a in another franchise tag, or you know maybe maybe he'll get a big term, big long term contract. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. I think he ends up playing. Um, my my next question here was whether you look at the running back position any differently because of all of this noise going on, and specifically with regards to Jonathan Taylor. Um, who I believe showed up late to training camp. It seemed like a clear publicity stunt where he just wanted to, you know, let the management know he's expecting a contract and maybe he's willing to sit out. Um, he's on the last year of his rookie deal before becoming an unrestricted free agent next season. Are you worried at all about his dynasty value until he gets that long-term extension? Um, or are you just, you know, not worrying about it for now and you'll deal with that next year? Yeah, no, I'm not worrying about it at all because he he needs to prove that he's worth the penny. He's on that mm-hmm. contract year. We saw Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard all finish his top 15 guys last year and blow up out of the water. So that those guys proved that they, they deserve some money, and, and Miles got his money. Pollard got his franchise tag, and Josh Jacobs got his franchise tag as well, like you said. So they're all going to get paid. They all proved that. You have to be able to prove that. The position's so fragile nowadays. They, people are put, pre, replacing these running backs in the fifth, sixth round. Yep. The 2017 class alone had like Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler come out of like the fifth round, undrafted, Cream Hunt, Kamara in the third round. So you can get a, a capable back in the third, fourth round all day. So that's that's why these running backs on these contract years need to have big years for them to prove to themselves. Like we saw with Camaro and CMC, they proved it and they got paid. Dalvin Cook as well. I think Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, all those contract year running backs, they're all super talented players. Unfortunately, Dobbins had the torn ACL, torn hamstring, he tore up his whole leg, and then Akers had the torn Achilles. So that set them back as far as, who they are as running backs, but now they're two years removed from the injury and they have time to prove that along with Jonathan Taylor. He's another guy who missed tons of time last year with that high ankle sprain. I'm pretty sure it required surgery and he's actually, he just got active. He's on the pup right now. Yeah. As we speak, they just put him on the pup. So he, he has no right to sit out. I mean, he has two good years. I mean, he had a phenomenal year in his second year, but you got to be able to do more than just two years if you think you're going to be a running back that gets a massive contract. So he's got to prove that he can stay healthy and that he can help that team win games. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Dobbins and Akers are in that range closer to Sanders and Montgomery where they're probably looking for that, you know, three-year, $20 million deal. While a guy like Jonathan Taylor obviously wants the Ezekiel Elliott contract. Yeah. He's not going to get it. No one's giving that out anymore. But he seems like a guy who's probably going to get franchised once or twice. I I agree with you. I, I'm not worried yet about any type of holdout, but it is something to think about that we might be at this time, late July next year, and running into a potential issue where Jonathan Taylor might be holding out. So just something to keep in mind. Um, you mentioned the pup list, and there's been a lot of pup news um, that, and, and for those who, uh, are, aren't aware that's a physically unable to perform, um, at this point, it doesn't impact your ability to play games. 
If you start training camp on the pup list, you can be taken off it at any time. If you start the season on the pup list, I believe it's a six games that you have to stay out. Um, So it doesn't matter yet. However, it does give us kind of the first legitimate signal about how these guys are recovering. This isn't, you know, a homemade iPhone shot video where we see a guy running through cones. This is the actual coaching and training staff's assessment of whether a player is ready to play or not. So um, I'm going to start with one that just came out this morning, um, and I'm adding this to the itinerary here. So let's see if I'm sure you can talk off the cuff about it. Uh, Brock Purdy uh, is not going to be on the pup list. He's apparently cleared for contact um, as the presumptive starter in San Francisco. Um, Apparently his elbow is okay. Uh, What do you think about whether this helps Brock Purdy's value, how much it hurts Trey Lance value, and in general, what are you doing with these two quarterbacks? Yeah, I I think it's going to be a 50-50 battle for who gets the starting role. I mean, you don't, I, I don't think you should give up on a player that you gave up three future first round picks and took them third overall in a stacked QB class to just give it up to a seventh round quarterback. So I think if Trey Lance is actually putting things together and, and becoming better as a quarterback, like George Kittle and many others said about him that he's improving, then he's going to get his shot and it's nobody's job yet. And with Purdy being healthy now, it just makes it even more fun. So I'm honestly I'm buying whoever's the cheapest, and it seems like it's Trey Lance lately. I mean, I've been seeing Lance flying around leagues for pennies. So I think it's just worth it. He's got the rushing upside. I mean, he's a young quarterback. He has the potential to put up a crazy season in that offense. I mean, I think anybody's capable of doing pretty good in that offense with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and CMC behind that offensive line with Shanahan's brain. So it's whoever's job to win. So if Brock Purdy comes out throwing more touchdowns, less picks and being the more efficient player, then he's going to be the starter. And I think it starts with training camp. Whoever comes out and proves that they're the leader and that they're the better quarterback is going to be the starter in 2023. Yeah. And I think in a weird way, this might actually be good for Trey Lance because my thought process was that, and part of the rumors with, you know, Sam Darnold was going to start if, if Brock Purdy was still out because of the injury to me, that was saying, listen, we can't put Lance in and then bench him if he's playing well, right? So if Purdy's out, we got to give the job to Darnold so then Purdy can come back in and fight for the job. But now, like you said, it's a straight-up 50-50 competition where the two of them are going to be on the same football field. And to me, I mean, there are things Purdy does better than Lance. There are things Lance does better with Purdy. I agree with you that both are awesome values. Um, in that startup where I took Tannehill, I also took Trey Lance 7-7, and I took Brock Purdy at the 9-1. And I am thrilled with both of those values because, listen, if either of them is the locked-in starter, they could easily rise to fourth-round value. And it's possible that, especially next year, one of them gets traded and I could end up with two starters. So one of them, you know, my ideal would be Purdy stays on SF, gets that, mm-hmm. gets the passing weapons around him, and Trey Lance goes somewhere where he can start and run around the field. So yeah. I think they're both excellent values right now. Yeah, I agree. And if Trey Lance, like you said, gets traded, someone someone out there is going to take a shot on the third overall pick. He He's only had very few chances to shine, but in some of those games he was playing like 50 60% of snaps and he put up 20 points. Like yeah. that game he played – against the bears last year before he broke his leg that I don't really count that because it was like a monsoon of a game and they just ran the ball the whole time. It was a joke, but who knows? We nobody knows what he's capable of besides the 49ers. So I'm excited to find out 
because I know a team like the Falcons, if Ritter stinks this year and they're like a 50, 50, eight and nine or nine and eight team that's in the middle of the pack, picking around 15, they're not going to be able to get a good quarterback. So I could see them taking a shot on a guy like Trey Lance, if the 49ers are looking to move him or even Purdy. So it'll get interesting for sure. But I like that strategy because you're going to end up with two starting quarterbacks when it all ends. Yeah, yeah. Or if Purdy wins the job, I could see a rebuilding team even trading for Lance this season. Or if a team has an injury in the first six weeks, of the seven weeks of the season, uh, you know, maybe the Garoppolo's issues come up again and the Raiders aren't really competitive. They could trade for Trey Lance. So I think there's a lot of ways for that to pay off. And both of their values going in, you know, the seventh, ninth round, I think are pretty strong. Um, Now let's talk about the running backs. So there are three running backs. I guess the two main running backs who tore their ACLs last season were Javante Williams and Brees Hall. Uh, Brees Hall tore his, I believe, in week eight, Javante Williams in week four. Um, Javante's injury was thought to be significantly worse. He tore up his entire knee, but coming back this season, Javante avoids the pup list. He is apparently a full go for practice while Brees Hall is on the pup list. Um, I've been buying both of these guys like crazy this off season. I believe you're a pretty big Brees Hall fan as well. Uh, but what are your expectations for the two of these guys this season, are you lifting Javante up because of this news? Are you lowering Brees Hall down? What's your perspective on these two guys? Yeah, so history tells us that running backs coming off season-ending injuries just do not produce like they should. But these two are phenomenal talents. I mean, I, I love both of these guys, and I've been buying them everywhere, just like you said. Brees Hall, not as much because he's like the RB2 in Dynasty, even after the torn ACL. So I've been I'm trying to compete in every league this year. So I'm trying to do a lot of Brees Hall for guys like Nick Chubb and like first round picks and stuff like that, just to get the competition down, but also get rookie picks in return. But Brees Hall is phenomenal talent. And if he is good to go and he's healthy, him, Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are going to destroy the AFC together. So he could finish top five easily if he's good to go. But like I said, history tells us otherwise. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to buy, I've been buying a ton of Javante Williams and trying to keep him as like my RB four or five so that I don't need him for this year, but I'm just still getting the discount. So if he is nasty, I have an extra nasty running back. I can plug into the lineup, but if it takes him a bit to get going, or if he's just not ready to go this year and he kind of has those JK Dobbins type injuries, the little ones just nagging him and keeping him off the field. Then I have guys like Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb and cheaper running backs that are going to produce his top 12 running backs in the slot ahead of him. So it won't matter if he's healthy or not for me, but with that Sean Payton offense, Javante Williams is going to look like prime Mark Ingram when he's finally good to go. And Russ Wilson in that first game with Javante Williams last year, I think Javante had like 10 receptions. So, Russ, yeah, like 11, yeah, 11 targets last year yeah. in the first game. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I don't think Javante is going to start the season 100%, but I've been optimistic about his recovery since the beginning, and he has outpaced everything so far. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hate coach speak in the offseason, but this is not coach speak anymore. This is letting Javante get on the field and get hit, and they would not be doing that if his recovery wasn't going, you know, incredibly well. And one thing that I did read was that there is a correlation between the speed of recovery and the likelihood of efficient performance, as well as the likelihood of the injury recurring, basically saying that, listen, if the first 
recover if the recovery goes well there's not a follow-up surgery there's not any setbacks they beat the timeline to return it is less likely that they get hurt again and more likely that they perform well so i'm banking on that a little bit i think by week seven plus i think javante williams is going to be a top 12 running back and i think Brees hall will too i'm a little concerned he's on the pup list but i'm not going to be concerned unless he gets on the real pup list because he's got you know a month to to just heal up and they know what they have in him, but you know, the Jets were looking at Dalvin Cook this offseason. They're still looking at Dalvin Cook. It does give me a little bit of a concern that the Jets might not think he's going to be ready for a full workload, or at least they're they're thinking about limiting his workload his first year back, which is probably good for him long term, but mm-hmm. might hurt him in 2023. Yeah, he's so good where it's just like I think they just want to keep him fresh and keep him ready to go for the Super Bowl run, I could see they believe that they're going to be a Super Bowl caliber team, and they're definitely going to be a playoff team. I mean, their defense is phenomenal. They built that defense perfect. It's got the good secondary, the good defensive line. They just added another beast edge rusher from Iowa State. That's a freak athlete that jumps over cars. So it's excited to see what he can do. But And then they added Rodgers. They clearly think they're that team that can take over and be like a 12-5 and team, maybe even make – the Super Bowl, like Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers been saying, but I could see them adding like a Dalvin Cook or a Fournette and kind of running a committee approach with him, maybe a Banacanda, Michael Carter, and Brees Hall, just trying to keep Brees fresh for that last stretch of games. But who knows? I mean, he, he's just such a dynamic player. He was one of the best running backs in the league last year in the first eight weeks. So if he's healthy, why not play him? I mean, he's a beast. Let him eat. Yep. So, but if yeah, not, I agree there. And I don't uh, think I don't think Denver is going to make the playoffs. So no, it, me neither. So who knows they can, Roger, but. Yeah, they don't need to save him quite the way the yeah. Jets need to save Brees. Um, so if we're looking at Javante, uh, he's been going as basically the RB fifteen, um, right ahead of J.K. Dobbins, right behind guys like Najee Harris, Nick Chubb. Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, probably about a round and a half behind some of those guys. Where would you rank Javante amongst that crew now? Right where you said. He's like perfect. I think he's perfectly valued right now for what he is. I I have him above Dobbins and stuff like that. But there's a scenario where I think Dobbins could be more valuable next year than Javante just because of the contract year. That Ravens offense is phenomenal, and Dobbins is such an efficient runner. Two years removed from the injury, he could score double-digit touchdowns and be a 1,200-yard rusher all day in that offense. So I think Javante is just perfectly priced at RB15. There was a point in time when he was like the RB2 in Dynasty, and I just thought it was disgusting. I hated it so much. Yeah, as a guy who had 85% Javante ownership coming out of rookie drafts and uh, sold about half of them when that was yeah, going exactly. on, I, I, yeah. I was okay with that. Um, for those who've been following me, you know, you know I'm going to be biased on Javante Williams. He's probably my favorite guy I've ever scouted. So I have him a bit higher at RB10, 11 right in that range. Um, I do have him above guys like Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, and Nick Chubb. A lot of that has to do with, I prefer to get younger guys, especially yeah. given that I, I think Jake, I think Javante Williams could outperform Najee Harris this season. I think he could out, outperform probably not, probably not Nick Chubb, but I, I think he's significantly better than JK Dobbins just because of the receiving workload. But, mm-hmm. um, and, and is 
J.K. Dobbins is less healthy than Javante right now. He That's a good transition into the next guy I wanted to touch on, yeah. which is Dobbins. He's starting this season on the pup list, or at least training camp on the pup list. To me, that's pretty bad news for a guy who already had a few setbacks last year. Um, some of his advanced stats last year are actually okay. He had over three yards after contact per attempt. He had 19 rushes of 10 plus yards and only 105 attempts. You know, that 17% is pretty elite. Um, but he didn't look the same. And like, he had no burst. We all remember those two plays that he just got chased down. And the fact that, you know, seven, eight months later, he's still having this pain and swelling. To me, I'm concerned about J.K. Dobbins, a guy that I really like and think is an excellent runner. But, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be healthy for an extended period of time. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely a gamble, but the adopt side's just there. He needs to prove himself. So if he can stay healthy and he, he's on that contract year, like I said, and, and that Ravens offense is that offense should be unbelievable this year. I mean, Lamar's coming for that revenge, new offensive coordinator, added Zay Flowers. Hopefully Bateman's healthy. I know he's on the pup right now with his foot injury, but added Odell, Mark Andrews, even Isaiah Likely. They got weapons. So I don't think Gus Edwards is a threat behind Dobbins at all. I think I truly think with how run heavy the Ravens have been in the past, if they didn't believe that J.K. Dobbins would be ready to roll this year, I truly thought they would take a running back in like the third or fourth round. Yeah. A Tank Bigsby. I do like what the Jaguars did just as like an insurance policy and a guy that's capable if Dobbins goes down because it's such an important piece to their offense. But maybe they they might just be all in on Dobbins this year. Like I said, with that, that he's still on the rookie deal. They could get their use out of him this year, let him walk where they can pay him if they want to keep him. But this is where running backs tend to get used a ton is on that last year, their rookie deal, because it's either show me what you got and I'll pay you or I want to get my most use out of you and then let you walk like Damian Harris um, for the Patriots that year. So that's what it comes down to, in my opinion. But yeah, like you said, Javante does have that receiving upside. I just think, what I stress so much now, I've always kind of been silly about this is just being in that good offense is so much more important for the running backs because it's just the touchdown upside, just getting the ball more, more frequent. If you're not like the best of the best pass catcher, then it's tough. If you're not getting the ball a ton, like we saw Damian Pierce and Najee Harris getting fed, just so inefficient because their teams are horrible. No O-line, no offense to move the ball. So they're getting, their first and second down, losing four yards and then punting the ball. So it's tough. Dobbins could get a ton of red zone opportunity, but who knows if Russ turns it around, Javante Williams could as well, especially with Sean Payton coming in, Judy Sutton, Marvin Mims, dual chitch. This offense could be decent. I think it's going to have a huge improvement from last year. So I'm excited to see how it pans out, but RB15, RB14, even 13 for me, for Javante. I have him over Eckler, like you said, as well. So yeah. that's that perfect range for me to buy him up all day with, with upside, too. Like, I could see him, the, all the guys I have above him, like Ramondre, Pollard, Jacobs, they're all, like, in that 25, 26 range. And Javante's yeah. still, like, 23 years old. So that could switch in two years like that. He could be RB8, RB7. So I'm excited to see. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree there. Um the one thing I'll say is that Dobbins last season had 11 catches and Javante, as we mentioned, had 11 catches in one game. So that's that's just a comparison of the upside to me. W- what this does make me think of is that, 
uh, Gus Edwards is an incredible value because while I do think that J.K. Dobbins is, you know, significantly better than Gus Edwards, Edwards is, like you mentioned, they didn't draft another running back. Gus Edwards is a talented player, and he's basically the only running back on the roster. There's no reason that if Dobbins isn't healthy for one reason or another, that Edwards can't get a thousand yards and 10 plus touchdowns. If he's getting the full workload, he's not going to get any receptions. He's got 19 receptions mm-hmm. in uh, four career seasons. So that's not going to happen, but you know, he's averaged over 3.3 yards after contact per attempt. Um, he's really like almost like a Rashad Penny light where he can, he can carry the rock on first and second down and be quite efficient with it. So Going in the 21st round of dynasty drafts, that's going after guys like McCole Hardman and A.T. Perry and Hunter Renfro, who might get cut, and Evan Hull. Like I, I like Gus Edwards as um, either a handcuff or even if you don't own Dobbins as a guy who could potentially give you some RB2 weeks if Dobbins is injured. Yeah, I love that. It's all about getting that talented handcuff on an elite offense especially when the primary back is battling an entire torn leg. So yeah, that's a great purchase. You could probably go out and shoot him a 24 fourth and like a, some fab and get him. So that's a no brainer move. I'm going to do that in every single league after this podcast. Yeah, no, me too. Just and, give and me the idea. Yeah. D- d- don't do it in my leagues. Let me get to it first. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and in the same way, I mean, Samaj P Ryan right now is going quite a bit higher just because of you know most of these ADPs aren't caught up so he's going in the 13th right now of startups I think with this news I could see him falling to the 17th or 18th round range and that's not a bad idea either because we don't know how healthy Javante is going to be and just like Gus in Baltimore uh, P Ryan's really the only other experience back uh, in Denver so that's not a bad purchase either um mm-hmm. Let's talk about a pretty unfortunate situation with Kadarius Tony, And this will be the last kind of news story that we're going to hit on before we get to some patron questions. Um, Kadarius Tony got injured again. He had another knee surgery. Uh, I, I love when they say it's just a cleanup as if uh, it's not a big deal to have surgery on your knee. I think this is his third or fourth time. Uh, they cleaned up some of the cartilage in his knee. I've been out on Kadarius Tony for a while. I think he's a pure gadget player. I don't think he's a real receiver and he's constantly injured. Not to mention the fact that it doesn't seem like he has great work ethic. I think there's too many red flags with Kadarius Tony where he's going to be a talented player who will occasionally change games and make big plays, but you can never trust in your fantasy lineup. Do you have any faith left in Kadarius Tony? And and by the way, just to give some timeline on this knee injury, apparently it's possible he's back by week one. I I, I will I will bet the under on uh, one snap in week one uh, personally, but I, it's it's possible. It looks like a four to six week injury. Yeah, I you nailed it, brother. I am so out on him. I've been out on him his entire career. Yeah, he's a gadget player, and he's just. There, I don't like to label anybody as injury prone because I like to use injuries as an excuse to buy low. But I think my hamstrings are healthier than Kadarius Tooney at this Seriously. point. So I am. I told everybody sell him this off season. I was screaming that he's the worst buy at his ADP in both dynasty and in redraft. Everyone was telling me I'm stupid. Everybody was telling me all oh, the Chiefs view him as their wide receiver one. Then why they draft two second round wide receivers in the past two years? I'm taking Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore over him all day in both redraft and dynasty. 
one of those guys is going to be the team's wide receiver one. I don't know who. Even Justin Ross will take over Kadarius Tony at this point with costs baked in the, the value of the two players. I like Justin Ross isn't one to stay healthy as well in the past, but he's literally a better wide receiver than Kadarius Tony, and he's probably more versatile as well. So sell Kadarius Tony for literally any second round pick and then go trade for the real Chiefs wide receiver ones. Yeah, so which of those guys and and just to just to give another example for why he's a gadget player, 2021, 11 of his 53 targets were 10 or more yards down the field. That's only 11 of 53. And then last season, only four of 25 targets was 10 or more yards down the field. He's really just getting these bubble screens, these reverses, the little pitch play. Um, he makes some cool plays, but he's just not that good of a receiver. So you, you know I'm a Sky Moore guy. I'll, I'll talk about Sky Moore all day, but I'm interested in your opinion. Do you think it's more likely that Sky or Rice or – Richie James is getting hype. Mark MVS is still there. Who, who, who are you buying in this uh, Kansas City wide receiving room? I truly believe that it's a 50-50 shot between Rice and Sky. I think they're going to both be given the same opportunity. And the good thing about it is they're both completely different players. It's, yeah. It reminds me so much of Nico Collins and John Mechie. Like you have, a, you have a pure slot speedster that is great with the ball in his hands. Great prospect coming out. I mean, Sky was a early declare he checked a lot of boxes good athlete Mechie as well dominated at Bama but then you have that kind of contested catch monster and Nico Collins and Rashi Rice that they're like almost like that Michael Gallup type mold where they're just great downfield making plays through through contact and in those jump ball scenarios and we haven't we haven't seen Mahomes have a wide receiver with that kind of style of play so it'll definitely be interesting to see how he translates with that Rashi Rice type of mold, but we've seen in training camp already. I mean, I know training camp's just all for shits and giggles, but Rice has been making some crazy plays through traffic already as a rookie, just like Sky was making last year. So I truly just think they're both going to be in that 50-50 type role. Whoever emerges as the true one is going to be the one. So trade for both of them. Pick who you like better and go out and get them. Yeah, and I and I do think, you know, I'm not a fan of Rashi Rice really, but I do think that his value has gotten pretty ridiculous. He's going in, you know, the eleventh, twelfth round of drafts. So is Sky Moore. Like you said, just go get both of them. And if if one of them gets a thousand yards or even nine hundred yards this year, you've made a good profit. Oh, yeah. The one thing I will say is that I, I had Daniel Harms on the show a few weeks ago talking about wide receiver breakouts. And he uh, he lives in Kansas City. He goes to their training camp, is you know talks to all the coaches and stuff. Um, he brought up a good point that they really don't like using their rookies in Kansas City, especially in the wide receiving room. And Andy Reid has had this for his entire career. He's never had a rookie go over a thousand yards. That includes Sky, Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin. You know, really big names there. He often redshirts a guy, so that's why I'm betting on Sky Moore as a second year player. Plus I just really like the talent, but you know, Rashi Rice is looking good in training camp as well. So I'm okay buying both of those guys at value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Rice wasn't as good of a prospect as Sky. No, no. but they're just, they're so completely different type of players. I mean, SMU and then Western Michigan. Yeah. I mean, they're both those kind of that weird school, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. 
Yeah, we'll see. And I think the good news for Sky is that he looks like he's playing exclusively in the slot this year after basically getting thrown around last year into different positions. Um, and I think the slot's the best place for him. I, I think he, you know, when I was scouting him, he ran one of the cleanest, cleanest slants I can see. And I know that sounds like an easy thing to do, but it matters, especially in the slot. Um, so let's move on from the news to talk about some of my questions from my patrons. Um, obviously, uh, thank you to all my patrons for supporting me. Uh, I put out new rankings today as well as some more, uh, info from my startup guide. Uh, if you're interested in my Patreon, check it out at dynasty Zoltan, um, on patreon.com. So the first question is, um, and by the way, uh, also check out the smash except Patreon, uh, which Snoog is a big part of and a contributor to, uh, I'm a, I'm gonna give you some time after some of these questions to expand some more on that as well. Um, but this first question is, I know you like to get one of the top tight ends, but what's your approach if you're looking for a cheaper starter there? And I think this question comes on the back of my startup guide where I basically outlined the positional value of a replacement player you get at the tight end position if you have one of those top five guys. Let's say you don't get a tight end in the first seven, eight rounds of a startup draft or in a mature league, you don't have one of the top tight ends. Which of the guys in the you know tight end eight to fifteen range are you targeting? Are there any you particularly like? Are you doing a commit by committee? What's your strategy there? Yeah, so the, I actually have been doing a ton of research on this recently, just for redraft purposes and stuff. Um, but I think David Njoku, Evan Ingram, and Tyler Higby are three guys that I've been trying to buy up everywhere because they were both all – I looked at, like, metrics, advanced metrics on, like, yards per out run, like red zone targets, things like that, receptions, targets, yards, all that good stuff. And David Njoku, Evan Ingram, and Tyler Higby's names were just popping up in, like, the top seven, top eight everywhere. And I was just like – Wow, like I'm so happy I did this because I can get Higby for like a third or you know, like two thirds in leagues. And he's going to be the number two option in the Rams offense behind Cup next year with Stafford. So it's like you don't realize how good some of these like sleeper tight ends are and all it's going to need. They're just going to need the target opportunity. Like if Watson is actually how good Watson should be, and he was feeding Najoku last year. So if he actually is how he should be, Najoku could be a guy who's he's super talented. He's a great athlete. He could be a guy that steps into that top range. And same with Evan Ingram. I mean, I love the Jags offense. He was tight end five last year in that offense, and he's just got a massive contract. So those are the three guys that I'm trying to draft everywhere. I'm also a massive George Kittle fan, but he's he doesn't qualify for this. But for as like as like for cost adjusted compared to like the Kelsey's Andrews Pitts. And like Hawkinson, I'd, I'd take Kittle all day in like that sixth, seventh round. He's like my favorite player to take there because he's literally more talented than all of those tight ends besides Travis Kelsey. So yeah, I'll just no, draft I, the talent. And if it's Purdy there again, he's going to eat with Purdy. So yeah, I think that's a great shot. I mean, George Kittle has fallen to the sixth in half tight end premium leagues and startup drafts. I've seen him go for, you know, late 24 firsts. I think it's incredible. Um, piece of advice because he provides the value of a replacement player than you're looking for. I much prefer a guy like Kittle to a guy like Goddard or Fryermuth. Um, because, you know, if I have one of those guys, I'm more than happy to pay a second to get up to George Kittle. Otherwise, like you said, Najoku would be the guy that I'm targeting as well. I love Greg Dulcich too. Evan mm -hmm. Ingram as well. I, I think that the tight end 
8 to 13 range is pretty strong right now. We talked about a Conquo too. What I'm not doing, especially in Dynasty, is going down to the Cole Komet, Trey McBride, Dalton Schultz range. I think that's just a step too far, um, even though I, I like some of those players at cost, but I'm not okay with having them as my tight end one if I actually want to compete. Um, how about Darren Waller? I, he, he's been a hot name. Um, he's the tight end nine in dynasty right now. I think he's going as the tight end six in redraft right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about Waller in New York? If he can stay healthy, he'll be great. That's the only issue with him. Like I said, it's, I, I think I have like 70 plus percent ownership of George Kittle. Like I literally think that's like my most owned like tight end by a mile. And I think he's one of my most owned players just because, like you said, I've been getting them in the sixth, seventh round with rookies included. And that and that's in like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75, 10 premium leagues. Because if there's anyone that's going to finish, if if I close my eyes and slept through the season and woke up and you're like, yo, Kittle just finished tight end one overall, I'd be like, if anybody was going to do it other than Travis Kelsey, it's George Kittle. Because he's literally so good at football. And he's just an absolute monster. And if, if he stays healthy, he's guaranteed top four tight end. But Waller is like like that like he's so talented and he's in a great system where he could be the number one option in the passing game in and every down but it's the health issue so I think he's one of those players that if I can get him at a cost like at that tight end nine price I'll do it all day but if I can add like a two-thirds and get Kittle or like add like a late second 25 or something to get Kittle then I would but if I can't get George Kittle, then I'm taking Darren Waller over like Pat Fry and all those guys you named all day. Yeah. Yeah. I would just take Waller and then, you know, take a guy like a Conquo, ride mm-hmm. Waller for two years. And then well, hopefully yeah, a Conquo yeah. is as good as Fryermuth anyways. Um, I, I do own a fair amount of George Kittle. I'm at looks like around 20% Kittle. Um, I, I'm big on tight ends. So he's, you know, seventh of my tight ends behind Kincaid, Everett, Andrews, Dulcich, Pitts. But I do love myself some George Kittle. So not yeah. hating on that. One thing that I've been really enjoying doing is taking Dalton Kincaid and then stacking him with a guy like Tyler Higby or Evan Ingram or Gerald Everett is a guy I've been doing that a lot with as well. A guy who can give me bottom tight end one numbers and then hopefully Kincaid can fill in next year. Um, I know that your, your co-host on smash, except uh, dynasty dad's a big Kincaid fan as well. Um, yeah. And he he's, he's really been my draft crush this year. So uh, I, I would endorse that as well. Um, yeah. Next question is an interesting one that I think is actually you, you and I were talking about, you, you made a trade for Josh Allen um, uh, earlier today in a league where you had just had a dominant team. And I think this question kind of, kind of uh, lends itself to that as well. So I'm asked, I'm in a league where I've won two years in a row and no one will trade with me anymore. Would you make a bad trade on purpose to try and convince people you won't always win the trade? Or what would you do to try and get the trade market open? Um, any suggestions here? Because especially in a home league, I felt like this can happen. Like, you know, your friends are like, you know, fuck you. You've won twice in a row. I'm not giving you anything. There's a there's a full on embargo. And well, hypothetically, that's kind of collusion. Like you're never going to, nothing's ever going to be done about it. So what's your approach if, if you're a guy to two, two straight titles and no one trades with you? Yeah, that's tough because I feel like if you won two times in a row now, your team's nasty. So it's like, yeah. I probably wouldn't even be looking at that league and besides setting lineups. Cause I'm in a similar league like that where I've actually won three times in a row. 
and I have like the most stacked team ever. It's like our, my my all my boys were all super in a fantasy. We all got yeah, in it yeah. together, and we've just been. That was I think we the first year was twenty twenty when Alvin Kamara had that insane year and put up fifty five points, and I won the ship. Nice. I actually got that jersey for Christmas that day and wore it, and he had fifty five points that night. But that's awesome. It's that league, and I think I've like won three times in a row now. And it's it's a competitive league. Like there's tons of good teams in that league, but it's just like there's not a lot of trading anymore at this point because all the teams are good. And during the season, more so, but I, I won't even like look at that league besides setting a lineup. So I think I wouldn't I wouldn't make a trade that I don't want to do just to try to make people. Tra- like with me at all i just leave it i wouldn't yeah. do that no I, I go three for three yeah no for sure i i would not make a purposefully bad trade but i would make a lateral move maybe especially one that your league mites might might think that you're losing just to try to get some of the equity back on your side so you know i i, I would never recommend you make a bad move but if if there's a player like, like, let's say Gus Edwards, right? Give, give up like a third rounder for Gus Edwards, even though he's only worth a fourth, right? Like do something small that can open up the trade floodgates a little bit. Um, Like you did with Josh Allen. I assume your team is stacked if you're asking me this question. So put together four pieces, overpay a little bit, but for a guy like Josh Allen, where the league is going to look at it and say, damn, you gave up a ton, but your starting lineup still is better for it. So I I think that's what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, And just overall in your trade negotiations, try to be as nice as possible. Like don't, Mm -hmm. maybe don't push for that extra, you know, second for third swap or something like that, that I would usually do. Because if you're already in a good position like this, it's better to have the flexibility of having your league mates like, you know, open to trading with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, next question. When is the best time to acquire a win now piece like DeAndre Hopkins or Derrick Henry before the season or at the trade deadline? I think during the rookie draft is the best time to do that. But I think before the trade deadline, because before the season, everybody thinks they can compete. I'm in leagues where I'm trying to get guys like Devonte Adams and that are just rotting on these terrible rosters. And I have the guys telling me that they're competing this year. So I, I'm going to have to wait on those. I'm not overpaying. Just hang tight. And one thing that I'm trying to tell everybody that DMs me and asks me these type of questions is hold on to your rookie picks. Yep. Try not to trade your 24 first yet unless your team's literally so stacked and you can get a discount on like Saquon during the um, contract stuff. Like There's opportunities where you can slide in for like those type of moves at the right time. But if you want to go get like a Nick Chubb or like a Tyree Kill or Stefan Diggs, wait, wait for the team that thinks they can compete and they start off like one and four and then they're like panic mode, trying to collect any first they can get and you'll end up getting Tyreek for a first straight up. That's happened year in and year out for me. So that's the time. Wait, don't just, I think after the first four weeks is always the best time. Yeah. Because- and, and, and you said a lot of really good things there. I, I think number one, your your advice to only trade your future first if you know it's going to be late. And especially if like, you know, it's going to be late and maybe you finished in fifth last year. So other people aren't thinking it's late. Um, I, I agree to an extent. I do think that 
you want to try to acquire these players as early as possible, especially if you're in a normal 12 team league that has six teams make the playoffs, because getting that bye week is so crucial. Um, Fantasy is a lot of luck, right? Even if you have a team that's projected to win by 30 points, you probably only have a 70, 75% chance of winning that week. So if you can avoid that first round matchup, I would definitely advise that. But like you said, it can be hard to, there's probably only two or three teams at the beginning of the season that don't think they're competing. They probably already moved their veterans at the rookie draft, like you said. So at this point in the off season, it, Definitely put out some feelers because you want to get these guys in your lineup ASAP. But I, I do agree with you that it's more likely that you'll get these guys, you know, in early October. Um, I, I would just again say that if you can get them October 1st instead of, you know, November 20th, it's just going to help your team. Yeah, I think it's just all about reading your league and kind yeah, of the, yeah. the type of style the players in your league are like. So. All right, we got two more questions here. Uh, this one is, how do you rank the top four uh, rookie wide receivers in 2023? So Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, and JSN. And more specifically, who do you think of those four could increase their value the most in 2023? Yeah, so I actually have, I, I haven't had to make a change from the pre-draft from like my most recent pre-draft I posted. I think it was like March, like right before the combine. It was, I had JSN always one, Quentin yeah. Johnson two, Jordan Addison three and Zay Flowers four. That, that's that been my big four for a bit now. Um, that's that's what it is now as well. And I think, I think Zay Flowers actually has the most chance to increase just because how cheap he is right now. I think JSN, he's like the wide receiver 12 or 11 right now on like keep yeah, trade yeah. cut and stuff. I, he could have a phenomenal year and he'd probably only go up to like like eight or seven. So I, I think I think he's dropped at the best in this class, but from a value perspective. And then Quentin Johnson's even priced and Addison. They're in that like 18, 19 range, which is great value. So I, I literally think it's gonna could be Zay Flowers. I, I think he's in like that the late thirties. It's like he was a first round pick. Lamar Jackson's a great player. I know you're all in on Lamar Jackson this year. So yep. I'm not like a Zay Flowers diehard truther, but like I think he can be like a Marquise Brown type player where he just comes in maybe this year or next year and he just has a really good solid year. Maybe hits a thousand yards, scores some touchdowns, makes some plays, slides into that like versatile role and I think he could really have an impact this year. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good shout. I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't a Zay Flowers fan either. Like, I, I think I drafted him in one or two of my 80-odd mm-hmm. rookie drafts, but mm-hmm. I drafted him twice in the five startup drafts since. Um, he's fallen. I, I'm seeing him fall to the eighth round, ninth round at times, yeah. going around guys like Christian Kirk, Kadarius Tony, Keenan Allen. To me, the upside there for Zay Flowers is massive because – I don't think Odell Beckham is that good. The new offense coming in in yeah. Baltimore is going to be really good for their passing game. And Zay Flowers only needs to get, you know, 750, 800 yards in order to boost his value. So I'm not high on him, but I think there is a good point to be made that his value could go up the most. Um, I really like all of these guys at value. I, we already, I already mentioned earlier that the Chargers and the Vikings were second and third last year in pass volume. So there's a big opportunity for both QJ and Addison to go up. For me, the answer to this question, though, is Quentin Johnston because yeah, I, I see a way that. that he is literally wide receiver three after this season. And I don't think it's likely. Like I Again, I'm not even his biggest fan, 
But being paired with Justin Herbert, if Quentin Johnston has an 11, 1200 yard season, people are going to be taking him over AJ Brown, over Chris Olave, over Jalen Waddell. And I don't think it would even necessarily be a mistake if he actually is able to be that good. So I think that there is a lot of upside for Quentin Johnston, and he's definitely one of my targets if I miss out on, you know, JSN and Drake London and DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Quentin Johnson's a pretty good value at the wide receiver 19. Yeah, absolutely. And just like you said, if I miss out on those guys, it's Quentin Johnson and Jerry Judy are my go-to after that, that yep. core. So, but yeah, like, like you said, Zay Flowers, all he needs is seven, 800 yards, maybe five or six touchdowns. Look at Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, yep. George Pickens, Traylon Burks. They all held their value and they all actually improved in value mainly. From last year, I think Burks was like wide receiver 19 before Hopkins and like Christian Watson was like 18 and like yep. Dotson was in the 20s. Like Dotson was over Terry at one point. Yeah. So it's literally like Zay Flowers, does he really even need to do much to be from like wide receiver 38 to like the wide receiver 25? Like he, if he gets 800 yards and six touchdowns and Rashad Bateman's a bust again. Right. He's going to be looked at as their wide receiver one in the future alongside yeah, and- And Bateman starting the season on pop, like the other guys in that range, Chris Godwin has Baker Mayfield to worry about. Like I, I, Zay's going to pass either McLaurin or Dotson, if not both, like we don't know what's going to happen with Traylon Burks and Calvin Ridley. There's, there's a lot of ways for Zay flowers to get up into the, you know, low twenties and for you to gain a lot of value. And I don't see his floor being that low, right? Like his floor is basically where Sky Moore is right now, which is the 11th, 12th. And the odds that he goes up to the fourth round is, you know, more important than the odds that he falls to, you know, the 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, last question coming in here. Um, if you are on a re or here, if one of the mid tier QBs starts out the season blazing hot and the examples he gave was Jared Goff, Kirk cousins and Geno Smith, do you hold out for more than a 2024 first or do you settle and move off them right away? And you can answer this question both if you're competing and if you're rebuilding. So when's when? what's your mindset of when to sell those veteran assets depending what position you're in? Yeah, I mean, Goff was QB 10, Kirk was like QB 6, and Gino was QB 5 last year. I mean, they all had great years last year. I think I would take the 24 first. If I'm competing and I, I need quarterback, then I'm just going to keep the quarterback and try to win myself a championship. But if my team's kind of mid, middle of the pack, or like ready for that rebuild, midseason, kick off all my players, miss the playoffs, then I'm going to take 24 first all day, especially if it's random. If it has the upside to be a top five, top eight first, I'll take it over the quarterback. But Gino, Gino Goff, and Kirk are like three of the quarterbacks I've been trying to just get for cheap everywhere. Yeah. Just, just to kind of, I've been drafting a lot of Kyler Murray. And I've been just putting one of those guys behind Kyler and then having like a Herbert, Lamar, Joe Burrow type QB1. So I think that's like the best strategy you can do in Superflex right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And and the thing is, is that if, if those guys start off well, their value isn't going to go down next year, right? They're still going to be in that sixth to seventh round startup range. I love pairing these pieces, like you said, with Kyler Murray, with maybe a CJ Stroud, um, where he's not going to be able to play year one with a Desmond Ritter. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like these guys a lot as my QB two with the superstar QB. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, yeah, I'm moving them for a 24 first. If it has any upside, if, if the T, if, if we're in October 
and there's a team that's two and three or even, you know, three and three, they might miss the playoffs. I am selling these quarterbacks immediately Mm -hmm. because next year, if that's pick is the one Oh seven, you'll be able to, you know, make the trade back and get way more on top. Um, If I'm rebuilding, I'm obviously even more motivated to move them because I want to get those points off the roster and get an asset that can only increase in value, uh, Mm -hmm. which of course is a 24 first or a 25 first even. Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So that wraps up uh, this podcast. Before we get going, uh, can you tell all the listeners what you've been up to? Yeah, you can follow me over at FFSnoog on Twitter, and you can follow the Smash Accept Network on Twitter as well. Me and Dynasty Dad have been doing the Smasher Pass pod together for about a few months now, and we're doing tons of things from Dynasty to Redraft to Best Ball. We're just trying to keep mixing things up. Redraft season's closing in on us that last two months before the season starts, July, August. I've been fully just trying to transition to a lot of redraft stuff on my Twitter trying to just give you guys who not to draft, who to draft at value, my rankings, stuff like that, threads, threads on breakout players at each position. So make sure you check out all my latest work, again, at FFSnoog on Twitter, and make sure you're following Dynasty Zoltan as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely go check out uh, what Snoog and the Smash Accept team have been doing. Some of my favorite people to to talk to and follow on Twitter. as y'all know, I am sticking exclusively to Dynasty, only doing one redraft this year, and that's SFB, of course, for charity. Uh, so uh, keep in tune with my feed. Uh, check out the Patreon as well as these podcasts coming up for more Dynasty analysis. And I will be back with you next week with another podcast. <laughs>